Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Love of Life podcast. Tonight, we're talking stories, Christian movies, maybe some poetry. We're talking to a screenwriter and the CCO at Lore TV. He's Jason Farley, coming up next. Christian education. Because it serves him who says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Is the love of life. This is the Love of Life podcast. Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. All right, so we are back. Jason, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be on the podcast. Absolutely. We are really excited to have you as well. There's a lot of different routes I want to go down. I want to talk about Lore TV. I think we need to probably give a little proper brief introduction with that. But I want to talk about you first, because you kind of have a diverse background with different things that you've done. You've done pastoral kind of things. You're a screenwriter. You've gotten into novels. You're a poet. You do lots of poetry. You've been a teacher. Um, so I don't know, maybe briefly you could share with the audience just some of your background. You don't have to give a full autobiography, but just feel free to share and go on for as long as yeah, you want. And yeah. then we'll stop you if if you get okay. bored. <laughs> if, I, if I get boring, perfect. Yeah, yeah I mean, so so I I have um, have have bounced around a bit for sure. I I was in the ministry for a little over a decade and um, thought that was kind of the the direction my life would go the whole time. And then God threw a left turn into my life with spinal meningitis, um, which just was a complete full health collapse um, that took a long time, you know, about two years to recover from. And in the process, I uh, came out the other side um, a, in a different career <laughs> that uh, it's ended up a writer and um, have been, have written nonfiction um, screenplays, both in television and movies, been able to, to option both, been able to uh, publish some poetry and uh, a, a couple of novels and nonfiction. Um, and in the process, I uh, found myself um, working mostly amongst creatives, though now my pastoral, you know, my, my wife likes to say, God threw me down a dark alley to find the people in the creative world that needed a pastor too. So mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> so still do, still am a ordained minister and elder in my church and, and, um, love the church, but now my, uh, ministry, so to speak is amongst other folks working in the creative enterprises, sure. um, which I love and really enjoy, um, because a lot of create creator, uh, folks, especially in the storytelling and music worlds, they don't know where they fit in the kingdom they have a hard time finding a spot where they can plant their feet um, in the church and so uh, i get to do a lot of that um, helping creatives find the a perch to uh, land on uh, within the church and help them find uh, people to serve there so <laughs> which is which is what i do at lore i really like it yeah uh, so talk about that seed of writing that was planted. Was that during the spinal meningitis episode that you're like, hey, actually, I'm pretty much not feeling well and I'm writing and actually I want to be a writer with my life. This is what I want to do. Or were you a kid and you were, you know, you were writing lots of stories and things like that. So how when did that start for you? Yeah. So uh, when I was a kid, I wrote music and poetry. That was my you know, where, where I thought I was going um, creatively was a, I started out college as a music major and all that. But um, 
but then when I became a Christian, the, a lot of the writing shifted and changed to, um, as I began studying the Bible, I, it was more of a writing as a way to explore what the scriptures say. Um, and that was what I was reading because I didn't grow up in the church. So I had to, I had a lot of catch up work to do and, um, I learned by writing. And so I did a lot of uh, nonfiction writing and that, and that helped when I landed in seminary and, and, you know, that's what you do there a, a lot of, um, but I always, uh, continued to work on the poetry and, and then started writing stories here and there just as a way of mostly recording um, what God was doing in my, in, in my family and in the ministry and uh, writing that stuff down. And then uh, when I um, was coming out of meningitis, you know, it's, it's a funny disease because it squeezes your brain down small. And so you have to relearn a lot of stuff afterwards. Um, I, I found myself writing my first novel um, and loving it um, because I was just laying there with nothing to do. Uh, so I started studying story theory and, and uh, all of that and, um, and wrote my first novel on pain meds while recovering. <laughs> from is that novel meningitis. published? Is that, is that out there? In, it, in... it is. It is not. It's sitting in my drawer. It's called, it's called Leprechaun Wars. It's about a 30 year old junior high English teacher who's hikes up a mountain on her 30th birthday to prove she's not old and accidentally catches a leprechaun oh. and then finds And so she's thrown into a leprechaun, witch war that's been going on for generations. I think that sounds cool. And yeah, it definitely sounds like you were on some kind of dope too. Coming I was, that kind I of story. Was, that's pretty that's cool. Some, some good, that was some good uh, pain meds right there. So yeah. Exactly. I'm sure you have a question or two out of that. I do. Actually, what I'd love to know is when and how did you become a Christian? Um, well, I, I roller was, there was roller skating involved. I was a, an argumentative atheist all through junior high uh, and into high school. And a friend from my soccer team who we hung out with, who I hung out with quite a bit, who was a Christian, finally just said, hey, you should, you should come visit my church. And I was like, well, you know, I'm an atheist, right? And he said, yeah, but we're going roller skating. <laughs> and I was like, I do like roller skating. And so the roller skating convinced me to at least come um, check out what was going on and uh, found myself signed up for a uh, a retreat that, and I didn't even know what that was, but I, they were like, hey, put your name down here if you want to go away for the weekend. I was like, I want to go away for the weekend. So <laughs> went up to a retreat and um, a uh, an older guy at my high school who I had known who was very funny and and I was that was pretty much what I valued um I was you know listening to joke punk and trying to hold the the despair at bay with humor <laughs> and uh he he's he had just become a Christian and he got up and he gave his testimony and um the the idea that this guy could seriously consider uh the the faith and religion um kind of threw me for a loop because it was all jokes up till that point and it shifted him into somebody who was still funny but could be very serious and uh um and so that began my exploration but like i said i didn't grow up in the church so it actually took me a while i was really intrigued by jesus but it took me a while to really understand the gospel you know i i the first time I went into a church was at a, uh, it was a youth group and this small 
redheaded. I thought of her as old. She was probably about 27. I'm guessing <laughs> at the time. I thought when you're a really teenager, old. that's old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she, uh, we sit, we sat down and she said, so do you guys think people are basically good or basically evil? And I was like, well, basically good, obviously. And she said, well, then why do you all do things that are so terrible all the time? And I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> and my world and that question started to unravel all of my assumptions about the world because I started to look around and think, you're right. People are the worst. <laughs> and I have been telling myself that people are fine. And so then I was like, well, what else is wrong with the way I'm thinking that is patently obvious? G.K. Chesterton calls the sinfulness of man the uh, one objectively observable truth in Christianity. <laughs> and that was the one that really got me. Um, and you know, it, it, it's, uh, so that started to unravel, um, and make me question a lot of other assumptions. And so it was kind of the slow, it took me a while to learn what the gospel was because I hadn't, it, I, you know, a lot of people, they get saved, but really they grew up in church and they walked away. And, and so some church gets to come along and basically save somebody else's kids. Um, I was not, I didn't, know anything i thought jeremiah was a bullfrog was a christian song <laughs> it's not <laughs> it's not no what <laughs> it has all the things you know joy wine it's right jeremiah, jeremiah all of those things were like christian christiany church things in my mind and so i just thought it was a christian song all and that's I priests just, at our church <laughs> right yeah <laughs> but probably by a bullfrog that's the problem yeah. <laughs> doesn't so always like, identify as a bullfrog <laughs> <right>. <laughs> so i just sort of um it so it took me a while to really understand christianity and so it was about a year and a half before i was finally baptized um but that but by then i was you know fully in i'd read the bible i you know all of the um all of the the things in the process um, of becoming a Christian were were good. Um, it just was slow because I knew so little. I mean, thankfully met some people that were really patient, let me ask questions, and just help, let, let me work through um, all of the things that I needed to work through before I could even understand enough to say, yeah, I think I should get baptized. Because I went through a period where I was like, I think I'm going to get baptized. And then I have another question, and I go back and be like, wait a second. Take me off of the list. I'm not going to get baptized. And they were, and thankfully, just the church was really, really patient with me as I worked through all of that stuff um, because it was, I was a, a little bit of a slower convert. Sure. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm thorough too. So good. <laughs> um, switching topics a little to talk about stories. Um, the Inklings and Lewis and Tolkien specifically, they wanted to read things that just weren't being written at the time. So, you know, why not just write the type of stuff you want to read? But there's this wonderful quote um, from a book called The Fellowship, and it kind of captures their idea. Um, it says, a wit may say that the Inklings aim was to turn the bird into a dragon and the baby into a king, for their sympathies were mythical medieval and monarchical and their great hope was to restore western culture to its religious roots to unleash the powers of the imagination to re-enchant the world through christian faith and pagan beauty that was kind of their mission as they were writing different things what they wanted to do um so how do we capture the imaginations of people through christian truth <laughs> 
especially in a more and more pagan culture? How do we kind of right. do what they were aiming to do? And I would argue did. <laughs> right. Well, that's, yeah, that's a great book. Um, the, the, cause that's the one that walks through Owen Barfield and Charles Williams. And, and in there, he talks about the great war that Lewis and Barfield had throughout their lives. I'm actually reading a book right now called the great war. That's oh. walking through in more detail. What, uh, was it Zelensky? Is that the name of the author of that book? I can't remember who yeah, wrote that book. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. It's a husband he, and wife duo. Yeah. Yeah. And what's what it took for Lewis um, was a friend that kept challenging his basic assumptions about materialism, right? Because materialism is sort of the great spell that has the West, uh, un, you know, the, that the witch put on us. Um, I don't know who the witch would be, uh, but you know Darwin is kind of the 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 easiest um, one to point to, although he's downstream a little bit from the the original materialists. But the idea being that this world is like a machine um, is sort of the the great lie uh, that keeps it people's imagination from being able to even go to the point where they say, "What if?" god what if jesus what if right because there's uh because all of that what they what that would be considered um in a world that is materialistic in a world that is a clock you know a giant clock or a giant machine um all of those uh things that god has done and jesus has done and the spirit has done would be considered magic um in that worldview right uh and so because of that we actually need um, space made in our imaginations because our imaginations have been thinned so much by that mythology, uh, the mythology of of materialism. Um, and that's where I really think that Christians need to be more involved in the arts uh, in general, in st- but in storytelling in particular, because what Owen Barfield did was just continually question um, what what. Lewis and Tolkien came to eventually call the mythopoesis. Uh, uh, but it's the the stories that we tell that tell us uh, where we come from and where we fit. Right, The stories that we tell uh, ourselves and that the culture tells about where we come from and where we fit end up defining the parameters of our imagination. Um, and in you know if you if you watch a movie like e t, at the beginning of the movie, you get, a spaceship that comes down uh, an alien that comes out and he runs around and then the spaceship takes off and one of the aliens gets left behind and then it cuts to the story but it starts by giving us what are called in movie making the outer boundaries of the world what is because every movie is a little fantasy a little fantasy world that's been built every novel every story is a little fantasy world because it works it works directly on the imagination it's not real it's so it's um and the outer boundaries of the world um that in et involve spaceships and aliens so then when you cut to normal life kids playing i think they're playing dungeons and dragons if i remember right it's been a while since i've seen the movie but they're and then they're messing with each other and the brother's picking on the brother and it's just normal day in day out life you know okay this is normal life but this is the kind of world 
where an alien might show up at the door. Um, alien might end up in the bedroom later, right? Which is what eventually happens, right? And as you end up, the alien shows up, but you know what kind of world it is because of the outer boundaries that have been set at the beginning of the story. Um, a good filmmaker, that's how they that um, they set things up. You know, Jaws is the same. It's the kind of world where a person might get snatched by a shark at the shore. Right. <laughs> that's the kind of world you know you live in in Jaws. Well, what the outer boundaries in most people's imagination is set by materialism. Mm. Right. What what could or, or might happen is set by the the myths that we tell about our origin and about the uh, our place in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's what the church has not done a good job of resisting because we resist it by telling a more beautiful story and we have forgotten our own myths our you know capital m myths true our true myths the 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 reality of what kind of world we really live in we we um we don't we don't read the book of exodus and see moses coming in with a magic staff anymore (laughs) you know we 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 retell the story um, as if it's and spiritualize it and we and we turn it into instead of a, an origin myth for the people of for our people mm-hmm. which is what it is we tell the story like um and we we tell the story as if it's a guilt lever mm. are you being like moses are you being enough like moses in your life <laughs> you know right <laughs> right as if as if the really important parts of the story all have to do with me and my my and whether or not I feel guilty enough about what's I've done wrong and you know, we we've turned it into a a story a, a moralistic Aesop's fable maybe mm-hmm. uh, you know are you being the which kind of person are you being yeah. um, rather than what it is which is that's actually the story of the origin of our people the people of God became a nation through the Red Sea. And mm-hmm. so when Paul in chapter 10 of Corinthians, he says, where'd you come from? Where's your story start? He, he, he talks about the creation of the world, the call of Abraham and Moses taking his people through the Red, taking our people through the Red Sea. But that's our origin story. Our origin story is a wizard with a staff, right? That's a, <laughs> so, so um, when we remember that and we tell our story that way, um, that sets the outer boundaries of what's possible in the world such that we expect God to be with us everywhere, to show up everywhere, to be um, hiding. You know, to, we, we, we wouldn't be surprised to discover, um, even if we didn't see them, but if God whispered to us later, hey, you know, there's angels sitting in the tree over there. Mm-hmm. We would say, well, yeah, that's the kind of world we live in. Of course, there's angels sitting in the tree. They probably followed me after church because, it, you know, Hebrews tells us that we're taken up with the angels by the power of the spirit when we gather together for worship yeah. right? the kind of world we live in is um you know, a, uh, angels and and demons and and uh god's intervention are all expected right they're well within the outer boundaries of this kind of world mm-hmm. so I, I think we need to learn to re retell our own story that way and then tell the kinds of stories that make that world beautiful tolkien did that with lord of the rings i think c.s lewis did that with narnia and with his space trilogy Mm. um that you know the that the kind of world and with till we have faces although 
it's a it's a little bit more complex of a novel because it's set pre Christ. Right. Um, but uh, that and, and I think Chesterton is another example of a of a writer that does that really well for modern people. Um, you know, uh, something like uh, uh, the Man Who Was Thursday, mm-hmm. which is uh, you know a novel about a guy being chased by the police, sort of. Yeah. Because it also turns out to be a supernatural novel about the real meaning and purpose of each of our lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's a really great novel. I particularly like, you know, the uh, poem at the very beginning that uh, Chesterton writes to his friend Edward. And it starts with, a cloud was on the mind of men and wailing went the weather. Yea, a sick cloud <laughs> upon the soul when we were boys together. That right. poem is just, it's worth literally just cracking open and reading that. The book's wonderful too. I would advise reading that. But just that opening line poem is uh, good in his time, but super timely for ours as well. Right. Well, because he because he understands that you put on, like, we, we think of costumes as a way you know, or you know clothing as a way you know, dressing up for a holiday for example we think of that as telling a lie right mm-hmm. we we're like oh i'm I, i'm i'm covering something up right whereas chesterton understands the older view that you put on a costume to tell the truth mm-hmm. right that there's a deep glory to each person that you see there's a deep uh, a, a a deep glory and a deep beauty a deep magic underneath the daily life of, of each person and the daily life is actually the costume that's telling the lie mm-hmm. right and so on holidays we put on our best clothes or we dress up in costumes in order to tell the truth about the reality of our humanity which is that we're as creatures made in the image of god we live for eternity and our glory bearers um, women in a different way than men, women in a more straightforward way, men are glory transfer stations where we receive it in order to give it to the women in our lives. And women are the glory bearers um, in the in an older understanding of, <laughs> and I think a more true, an older and more true understanding uh, of our humanity. We're, we're, the, we're the, the kinds of creatures that were created in the image of God, which means we can have fellowship with divine father, son, spirit, family members. Uh, that's what kind of creature we are. And so our day in, day out life, you know, if you you live a life as a plumber, um, you you stick your hands up, up into places to clean it out. That's, uh, in a materialist world, if that's your value to the world, then that's, then you bring that with you everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Well, but, but we don't live in a materialist world. In a, in uh, when that guy puts on a, a suit for Christmas, um, that's closer to reality. When he wears a costume on Halloween, that's joyful and fun. You know, that's even closer to reality. You know, in the Middle Ages, they had lots of holidays where they wore costumes. It's not like us where we just have one and we think it's for kids, right? right? But that's because the day in day out life is a, is a costume is a costume that we that we need to remember is uh is a smaller version of the truth sure and, you know <laughs> that that's why they you know the the puritans always wore the big bright colors and everything is because right. <laughs> you, you got to put on display you know, what you are you're, yeah. you're a flower a flower in god's bouquet would you say that's the correct ju- juxtaposition between the elements of good storytelling you have et and the outer boundaries 
but then you have the point of origin that we need to remember as humanity of who we really are. Like what are perhaps maybe some more of the elements of good storytelling? What are those things that we can sort of think about, grapple with as the church? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think one of the things, um, one of the things that makes a lot of Christian storytelling very tepid um, and Christian movies um, unfulfilling is that we actually don't believe in resurrection. Uh, and so we're afraid of death. Uh, we we don't know how to ch- we we don't know how to actually charge into the gates of hell uh, in our storytelling um, because we don't really believe in resurrection. We also don't know how to hurt our characters the way that God, who loves us, is willing to hurt us to turn us into the people that He intended us to be. Right. So we're we're if we are clay in his hand, he really digs his thumb in sometimes. Yeah. And he says, I've got a plan for you. I'm going to turn you into this kind of pottery. And as a, the pot, you say, ouch, ouch, ouch. <laughs> right? That hurts. And he's like, yeah, but if I don't stick my thumb all the way in, you won't become the wine goblet that can hold that much as wine, as much wine as I intend for you to hold. Um, and you know, uh, when I teach my storytelling classes and screenwriting classes, I always say, you've got to, love your characters enough to really hurt them right <laughs> because the 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 kind of wisdom um the, all wisdom is resurrection wisdom you have to go through death to find it and all character is resurrection character if it's truly real character you have to go through death to get it um and the if we're in christian storytelling we're often not willing to let our to leave our characters with a limp at the end of the story because we are willing to hurt them bad enough that, to transform them um, into the, you know, a realistically transform them. Um, you know, and, and, you know, if you've got a, uh, um, you, there are filmmakers out there like uh, Judd Apatow, who is a brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, but he, he will say, I don't believe that people can change in drastic ways, which is why his movies are about a character just changing a little bit. Sure. Right. And, um, they're always, all in, he, he writes great dialogue. He, he make, writes interesting characters, but he doesn't actually believe that people can change very much. And so he writes stories that feel um, like, well, that guy didn't change that, that much. Um, and so, you know, sometimes they're still satisfying, but most of the time they're unsatisfying. Most Christian fiction ends up falling into the same category. We don't really believe in significant supernatural changes in people's lives. Um, and so we don't write, you know, we, we don't send Aragorn through the paths of the dead mm. um, the way that we need to to make a real king. Did I mix too many metaphors? No, I do that it's good. We keep it too nice <laughs> and it doesn't read true to life. Nothing yeah. hallmark, right. please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the problem is, on the other side, you get the Christian creators that say, we're going to dig into the reality of life, and then there's no re- resurrection. There's, yeah. Um, and it's the exact same problem um, w- without the, uh, you know, the, you get the hopeless um, existential uh, existentialism on the one hand, um, and then you get the, the trite, um, you nothing but frosting on the other side. 
So sure. <laughs> you, yeah. you, rather than finding that that good balance between death and resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. How how does a person's worldview affect their storytelling? I mean, we see this right now. Essentially, we're asking why do modern movies suck <laughs> in storytelling? <laughs> you know, but uh, talk yeah. to us a little bit about worldview. Well, I think I mean I think this is where um, w- one of the things you know when I talk to a lot of uh, Christian artists, and one of the things that I I like to talk to them about is just their sanctification. How are you growing as a Christian? Because you grow as the way that you grow as a Christian is the going to affect your art because good art is something that really flows out of the artist, right? The same way that um, you, when you, you get to the end of the creation week um, and you look back and every single thing that God created can be, you know, uh, the way Augustine puts it is he says that every single beauty is a is a stream that flows from the beauty of God, and by faith you can swim up the stream of any beauty to get to the beauty of God. Right, everything that God created um, that w- is true and that is good and is beautiful is a rivulet that leads back to the rushing river of God's goodness. So, the um, our art as people made in the image of God works the same sort of way. So, what you believe about the Lord with our worldview, as well as what you are living, um, which is also a significant part of our worldview, although we like to separate them out because it's easier to, because it's, <laughs> um, all of that flows out into our art if you're trying to be truthful. Um, and so the, what a Christian artist should be doing is getting as good at their craft as they can and getting as good at being a Christian as they can at the same time, trying to grow both in the, in their faith and in their craft, um, knowing that, that, that when the craft is working properly, then it is your worldview flowing out into the art and filling it, filling it with its content. Um, it doesn't fill it with its craft. You have to actually work on the craft of whatever art you're working on and get better at it, whether it's writing or poetry or acting or, um, directing or cinematography or photography or uh, whatever it is there you have to learn the craft by studying the greats and studying the experts and and practicing and you know all of that um you know there i can't remember who said it now but um somebody said to become a good poet you have to write a thousand bad poems to get them out of your system you know <laughs> what, what and, it, and all art is like that so you have to work on the craft and then you have to work on really knowing and understanding the truth and living it out so that you can have the wisdom that, to be able to tell a great story. So um, you, you uh, I'm trying to think of who a good example of this would be. Um, I mean, Tolkien, I think, is a, actually a really good example of this. He was constantly trying to grow in his faith. If you read his letters, he talks about he writes to his son, um, le- about what the sermon was about, what he learned from the sermon this week, you know, this that sort of thing. He's trying to grow in the Lord. Um, he he talks to his son about uh, when his son moves, make sure you know um, whatever house you decide is cl- close uh, close to a parish where you know you'll get um, where, where where you know that the priest is faithful, right? So you're going to be able to go to church and and he and he, he's, he's responding to something his son said apparently about 
the pastor's has a nasally voice where wherever he landed and he and he says it's probably good for your soul because um, it, it's easy to feel moved by the pastor's words and forget um, to 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 uh, uh, to take in the truth of the scripture if, if you've got a great orator for a pastor. Um, <laughs> was, you know, so he's just t- he's always trying to grow in his faith and grow in the Lord and um, and that really uh, ends up significantly and deeply influencing his art um, because he wants to re uh, he he's trying to help England um, restore its re- restore. He, he wants England to be restored to a, a mythology that has room for God's work and salvation of the people of England, you know, of the, of the, of the people of the UK really when you get down to it because he was a monarchist so <laughs> so right. uh, every everyone under the crown um he he thought that modernism had done a such a terrible thing to the imagination of the people of the UK that there wasn't space for them to think of the UK having a mission from god to bring light to the world the way in previous generations they thought about themselves that way and he said it's because we've retold the mythology and so he's trying to write it with he's trying to write a new mythology for the English people that makes room for a supernatural intervention by the creator God. Right. And so that's all flowing. He, as he thinks deeply about what the English people need, he ends up writing the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, which I think is an example of a absolutely perfect novel. Like there's nothing extra in it and there's nothing that is, uh, you know, nothing unnecessary and nothing that it's needed. It's a perfect novel. Um, and he, and that's because he wants to serve the Lord with his art and because he's thought so deeply about what is it that art is for and what does it do? So, well, you might've just answered part of this question actually with that answer, but, um, what kind of influence does story have on people? Obviously that's a great example of a good influence that it has on people, but, we also see a culture captivated by the wrong kind of stories. Um, so just, I guess, the the potency of story. Yeah. Well, um, I can give a, a good personal example with this one. I grew up, I didn't grow up going to church, but I grew up with um, a, a great librarian at my public elementary school who gave me um, Narnia when I was young and gave me Tolkien when I was young. Um, and then I also had a mom who was willing to drive me to the library anytime I asked, and she would let me fill up on books from the library. And I, I read a lot as a young kid. Um, and I uh, and I got because of Tol- uh, because of Lewis, I got into Tolkien, and because of that, I got into King Arthur. And mm-hmm. so I read a lot of King Arthur as a young man, um, and that informed my understanding of nobility, masculinity, strength. Um, all of the all of those sorts of things, um, and when in the sixth grade I declared myself an atheist, I was sad that I knew that Reepicheep was no longer on my side. But I, I I got really into Freud in the eighth grade, and I was reading <laughs> Freud in the eighth grade and the ninth grade, and and, um, and my favorite novel of all time um, was and and it's still up in my top ten is uh voyage of the dawn treader and there's this part where the um where eustace scrub um 
who almost deserves his name, Lewis says. <laughs> I, I think he, he did deserve it. Yeah, yeah, I think he, he deserved did, it. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that he um, is whining about why is it that Lucy gets everything? And, you know, and, um, and he, he uh, and uh, Reaper Cheap takes out his sword and he, and he, with the flat end of his sword, he's, you know, giving stripes to the, to the rear end of Eustace. Uh, and for, for being a, 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 for not being a knight or for not taking, you know, the, the vows of knights um, seriously, for not putting women first. And I remember, you know, reading Freud and, you know, and trying to explain to some girl, you know, you and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, but, and, and realizing that Reaper Cheap would, he would run me through and throw me overboard. Like I don't have a place on the Don Treader anymore. Um, and that was, that was tragic mm. in my, because of the way that it, the works had affected my imagination. I knew I was losing something beautiful. I didn't understand the relationship between that and Jesus, but I knew that I was moving away from the things that I loved because of their beauty the Knights of the Round Table, I, there was no spot being saved for me anymore at the Knights of the Round Table. Freud doesn't get a spot at the night with the Knights of the Round Table. He's no. one of the bad, he's one of the uh, the Black Knights that needs yes. to be skewered and rescued <laughs> all of the maidens that he has locked up in his basement. Uh, you know, the, the, um, uh, the storytelling, it, it explains to us how goodness is beautiful. What about good storytelling shows us how goodness is beautiful. And the argument for both truth and for goodness, one of the central arguments is that it's beautiful. It's the most beautiful, you know, true goodness is truly beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, you know, uh, Dante, it, 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 his spiritual life begins when he, um, I mean, it, he, as he gets older, he comes back and retells the story in a much in a more mature way. Um, but his, you know, baby, 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 Justin, uh, <laughs> Justin Bieber version of his young uh, life, uh, spiritual awakening was when he sees his neighbor Beatrice as a woman for the first time and not just as a girl down the road. You know, when when he when the and the beauty and when he approaches her. Um, and he was a he, he was a young man, but he, he was nine or nine years old or eleven years old, something like. That. And he approaches her and and says, "Hi, Beatrice. I'd love to shake your hand." You know, because he's now all of a sudden going through puberty, and in <laughs> puberty in the, in the Middle Ages, puberty was considered a spiritual as well as a physical awakening. We've lost that all completely. But when she says, "You're being weird, Dante," and doesn't shake his hand back, he goes home and cries and writes a sonnet about his grief and you know he's <laughs> but the, um but when he he goes back and says why he said she says because you don't care about virtue you don't want to serve god why would i be interested in you as as somebody to to you know as a potential husband um and it kicks open the doors that oh my gosh to be to be near that beauty i have to learn to be virtuous i have to learn to be good and um, he comes to understand later, like a like a more mature version of Justin Bieber singing "Holy, Holy, uh, Holy," 
<laughs> he comes to, to understand later that God was using beauty to draw him towards goodness, mm. right? And, and that that's actually the normal way, that goodness is actually a more beautiful way to live. It's a more fulfilling way to live. And that that's the normal way that we're drawn to goodness is not, not necessarily through rational argumentation. Uh, C.S. Lewis calls it back. He, he's, he calls it intellectual backfill. Mm. We start by being attracted to goodness because it's beautiful. Mm. Later, we explain rationally why it is. <laughs> he says, but it's all intellectual backfill. The yeah. beauty of it is what actually draws our heart towards it in the first place. And then later we explain why it was that we made such a good rational decision. Like yeah. we, we rarely make decisions for reasonable because they're reasonable, right? Yeah. We, our heart leaps towards something. And then later we're like, this is why it was the right thing. Or this is why it was the wrong thing. Sometimes, you know, often as well. Yeah. But that like Lewis's understanding of intellectual backfill um, has helped me a lot in understanding my own motivations and what kind of stories I want to tell and, and write about, you know? Um, so yeah. did that answer your question? Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. I'm sure if we sat down and we looked at each other's bookshelves, we'd probably be like, okay, there's a lot of crossover here, litany of uh, authors who have told good stories over the centuries. And you've obviously mentioned, we've all mentioned two of them now, Lewis and Tolkien, but who in your mind is on a large scale telling good stories now? Or do you see this huge, I know that right now you're writing stories and others like you, but is there kind of this, this void almost at the moment? Do we have a Lewis and Tolkien sort of in their own vein? Or are we missing that? Do we need that? Or do we need something else? I know obviously that's like three questions in a row. But yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I mean, go ahead. I, so I would say, um, I mean, you've you've got some guys that are doing some great work. Um, I think Louis Sackar, he wrote Holes, uh, he, the Card Turner. He's written a number. He's he's doing a good job in terms of you know meeting kids where they're at in suburbia. Um, and another really really great author. He wrote The Wednesday Wars. Um, he uh, oh, why is his name escaping me? Um, he is, I think, he might be the best current Christian author who is doing the same sort of, you know, that's that's doing something similar to Narnia in that it's um, imagination expanding. Um, oh, why is his name escaping? It's not S.D. Smith, when, is it? It's not S.D. Uh, Smith, is it? No, no, S.D. Smith, is, he is a good example. He's doing a really good job, as well as his brother, um, or... I know not his brother, but a guy that publishes with him, Andrew, um, Andrew, this is, I, I can't remember authors unless they've been dead 50 years. That's yeah. <laughs> Us too. It's okay. Uh, Peterson and Andrew Peterson. Um, okay. He's writing at a little bit, uh, a little bit lower level, kind of early Narnia or like early, uh, like the, like, um, the first Harry Potter. I think, I think the Harry Potter novels, as a whole, they do a good job at this kind of at um, Rowling um, was very influenced by Tolkien, uh, by Tolkien and Lewis in particular um, mm. in her understanding of storytelling. Um, I wish I could think think of who wrote the Wednesday Wars. Hey, I'll look it um, up for you. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. He is he is a phenomenal um, author, and he does a lot of 
taking into account how dislodged modern teenagers feel and he starts there mm. with so he starts with characters that feel very dislodged from reality and he helps them find their way back into reality um in a in wonderful with wonderful storytelling um the and um you know wednesday wars is he uses shakespeare to uh help help a you know a young teenager rediscover what it is to be a part of reality again and that's gary schmidt gary schmidt gary d gary d schmidt yes i really love gary d schmidt's um novels i've I've not heard of him so i'm excited yeah he's he he's fantastic he's a great writer um you know that but and he understands really well the modern teenagers experience of dislodgement and social media has just expanded and encouraged it and tried to convince everybody that it's normal but it's not it's not normal to be dislodged and from reality to feel like you're floating above your own life to feel like you're sitting in the balcony watching your own life happen that's not normal um but it is the normal experience of most teenagers right now and gary d schmidt does a really good job of helping re lodge uh, teenagers um and adults for that matter back into reality with his writing he's out at i think he's at wheaton okay okay would you say that the the stories, the movies that are coming out right now, are those predominantly a reflection of society or the ethos of executive producers, the elite, the stuff they want us to embrace? Sort of the, you can call it wokeism, you can call it paganism, you've said materialism. There's a lot of yeah. things going on and have been going on for a long time. Um, but what would you say is sort of the crux of? The stories that are coming out now with a 115-pound woman knocking out three macho dudes <laughs> with machine guns doesn't seem quite... I mean, I like, to, I like to be enchanted and I like fairy tales, but that's a little bit more of a stretch than even is the crux of reality. They're trying to lead over something that's not true. They're telling a lie about the world, right? Yeah, right, right. And um, we'd actually probably be better off with paganism than what it is that they're actually pushing. Because unfortunately, it's not even... It's not even good old-fashioned paganism, which we know how to convert pagans. The church has been doing that for 2,000 years. We have a much harder time converting robots, which is what we what people have been convinced they are now. They um, That they're a machine uh, that functioning in a world that is a machine. That's something we haven't really figured out how to, to help people uh, out of mentally with the gospel. We will. The church... The church uh, you know, the, the spirit of God is much more insistent that the church learn how to, to convert its neighbors than on, than we generally are. Um, but the, uh, I would say that the biggest problem right now is that you have, um, and in storytelling that you have separated out the, the storytellers from reality. Um, a lot of people from LA don't realize the rest of the world exists. Um, <laughs> and it and um you know i i was talking to one guy who was working on a film he he was uh he was the the uh photographer just taking back end the, the the photos behind the scenes photos um for marketing purposes later and such and and i i get a phone call from him and he says hey i got i got a 
I'm working on this film and the pastor there it's there's a pastor that's a main character and I told this director hey your pastor doesn't sound very much like a pastor and he said he'd never met a pastor <laughs> and so he said so I gave him your number I just just so in case your phone rings um this you know I said hey well I can who connect you with one and this guy wasn't a Christian it's just a guy that I know that I've that had worked with before and um and he he knew that i had been a pastor and and he knew that this guy didn't this character didn't talk at all like the conversations i'd had with him about christianity and so he, he's like so i gave him your phone number so if he calls you know um and later he called and he said oh the guy told me he wasn't going to call because he he said I'd, he'd watched enough fox news to be to know how a pastor spoke <laughs> Those aren't my pastors. <laughs> no, I know. Mine either. You know, but, um, but 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 for whatever. But this guy, he's separated from normal folks. Um, but he had a big budget to make a you know a a, a a big money drama. Yeah, and so I think that there's a um that there really is a separation between um the quote-unquote elites um and just normal everyday folks and the uh about well, it was about a hundred years ago gk chesterton wrote a book called my my visit to america and he says americans biggest temptation is that they're going to be uh they're going to turn their um their millionaires and their uh, film stars into gods and goddesses. <laughs> so they're wow. going to he's so precious. He saw yeah. it. <laughs> so a hundred years ago, he said, you know, in a hundred years, they will worship um, their millionaires and their movie stars. And he's right, right? Um, I mean, we literally we call them stars. Yeah. We could like they guide and direct the heavens. Um, and and the that mentality hasn't been good for the soul of America. Um, and it's not, so we have elites guiding us around that are disconnected, but it's not really their fault. I mean, some of them, they're going to have to answer for what they did with it. I mean, all of them are going to have to answer, but um, the, some of them have been, have used it for evil on purpose. A lot of them are just not very smart. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's, I don't know how else to put it, um, but they uh, uh, so the storytelling mechanisms have all been conquered um, by people with an agenda. Mm. So um, whether it's there, um, there's a there are there are some people that haven't like the um, uh, there was a movie that just came out. Um, the, uh, oh, it's by the the two brothers that. Um, that make really goofy movies and it's called hail Caesar. Oh um, yeah. Right. Right. The Cohen brothers, the Cohen brothers. Yeah. They're, I think they're a good example of something that has not been conquered by Hollywood because the hail Caesar was a hilarious movie about communists taking over Hollywood. Right. And they, and they refuse to make any comment, right? They make this movie and they're like, no, the movie is our comment. We will make no comments about, communists in hollywood and it's so, so funny um and it and the the uh, george clooney plays this clueless actor 
who just doesn't realize he's being used by the communists. And it's, <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. But at one point they're walking through and they're handing out lunches and, um, and you know, the, the uh, above the line gets one kind of lunch and below the line gets another kind of lunch. And so the main characters, you know, all get are are being brought a fancy lunch. And it's this scene where Jesus is being crucified and all you see is his feet. And he walks up and the guy's saying, hey, do hand out lunches. And he stops and he says, looks up at Jesus and he says, are you a main character in this? And he <laughs> goes, I don't. And he says, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and you realize like the Coen brothers are skewering Hollywood just, just right through the heart. It's amazing. Um, and so. And they, so, for whatever reason, they can still get away with it, um, <laughs> and it's a that's a really funny movie. Yeah. Um, but but we went, my, you know, we went. My wife and I saw it in the theaters, and we were dying laughing the whole time, and nobody else was. I don't think anybody else got it. <laughs> so <laughs> it was right over the head of most of the people in the audience. <laughs> so lots of funny communist jokes. <laughs> what types of stories should we be telling? Should we be wanting? Well, uh, one of the things that's great about um, the the current present is that all of the genres are up for grabs because we don't have. I mean, we'll see if in twenty years if snuff films come back in, and you know, there's. Um, I guess pornography would be off the table, but um, but that we don't think of that as a genre because What's of up? the influence. <laughs> yeah, because of the influence of Christianity. Um, the current breakdown of storytelling into the, the particular genres we have right now is from a previous Christian age of storytellers. So really all of the genres are on the table still for Christian storytellers to get hold of and take dominion in and tell true stories with. Um, so I think we need Christian sci-fi, Christian fantasy, Christian action movies, um, you know, Christian, uh, I, I'd love to see the rest, the the return of the knights and castles um you know the that has been a genre that's just been i think because we don't believe in virtue anymore we have a really hard time telling stories that center on on needing virtuous characters um uh, but i think that that what that all we have to do right now is tell stories where men act like men and women act like women and we're revolutionaries we're we're, we're restoring um restoring order to a world of chaos it, it's not that hard at this point in time it just takes i think courage which we do unfortunately lack a lot of courage um <laughs> but i think but but uh um because they are going to you know come after us we've got a uh movie in our pipeline at lore tv called the lesbian and the lumberjack mm. um that is about a woman it's a christmas rom-com about a woman who thinks she's a lesbian but it turns out she's just never met a real man right? <laughs> <laughs> all right this is a good transition talk to us about lore tv and your yeah. position there right so i i'm the chief content officer <laughs> excuse me which means I'm I'm the one going out and trying to find the filmmakers that we're because um, Laura is a funding and distribution platform, and so I'm trying to find the filmmakers that are uh, ready to make um, or have already made uh, movies that don't fit in Hollywood because they're too Christian, but they don't really fit in the faith based 
quote unquote faith based world um, because they're not hallmarky enough. Um, so we're trying to to show uh, find the Christians that are working in all the other genres besides um, Hallmark mm-hmm. and <laughs> give them the freedom just because there's already you know you can already go get your Hallmark movie made. Uh, of course, but give them the the freedom to love God and make this and tell the stories they want to tell. Um, and uh, and as we've we found the Christian artists are there, and a lot of them have been working hard on their craft. There's just nobody that has the courage to say, "Hey, let's make that movie that you want to make." Um, and the lesbian and the lumberjack is a good example that when I tell people about that, Christian non Christian alike, every once in a while somebody will be offended. Most people laugh, they get it, that's they think it's funny. And then they also I get all the time people saying, you know, I know a story like that. <laughs> I have a friend that she thought she was a lesbian, but it turned out that all the men in her life were just still boys. And so she never found any of them attractive because they all acted like little boys. I had a bartender, I I um in, infamous uh for stopping a, a whole bar room and saying hey i'm working on a movie can i pitch it to you guys and you know and i did that with the lesbian and the lumberjack in a bar in downtown spokane at about 11 30 or 11 30 at night you know so everybody was um you know hanging around and and uh they all laughed and and a couple people came up to me and said you know hey when's when's that coming out and i said oh go, just keep an eye on lore tv and well the bartender at the end he pulled me aside and he said I'm here day in and day out, and I can tell you that most of the women that try out, like quote unquote, they test out being a lesbian. It's because all of the men in here are still boys. Wow! Right? They all play video games, live at home with their mom, um, work part time, and don't don't take a full time job, don't have a career, and then they come down to the bar to pick up girls, and all of the women are more are more mature than them and so they uh they're he he said so you have to make that movie (laughs) because it will give hope to so many women yeah yeah i was like i was like there you go the bartender chris (laughs) who who used many four-letter words in his explanation of that too sure sure Uh, he he says, please make that movie the women in my bar need it (laughs) (laughs) because the knights in shining armor are way too busy at home playing PS4 at their right, mom's exactly. house. Exactly. Exactly. Crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, but what we're trying to do at Laura is prove out that that Christian filmmakers can work in every genre and um, tell great stories in every genre. And you know what moves the culture is not one movie that is good, right? It's we um, we often lose the culture wars. Um, because we don't have a culture we don't have our own stories we don't have our own movies we don't have our own television shows um that leak out to the rest of the culture you know that the reason um you know you don't get the the um the cosby you know things like the cosby show the fresh prince of bel-air that what they showed the world was that black folks had a culture that they loved Mm -hmm. and that they were you can come and join them and be invited into their culture. And so the reason that they made such, had such a cultural impact, um, even though they're, you know, it's 13, 14% of the population has had such a cultural impact was because they have a culture in the middle of a land full of people that don't have cultures. 
Yeah. Right. Um, and the, the the American Evangelical Church is one of those people groups that doesn't really have a culture. And so uh, we're hoping to build up uh, the movies and the television um, aspect, uh, storytelling aspect of the culture of the modern American church because the filmmakers are there. There's yeah. some really talented filmmakers that have had to work in secular the secular world because they want to do a good job. Yeah, yeah. Give the listeners a little bit more of a taste as far as what they would expect if they go to Lore TV right now. What kind of works or what kind of things can they see at the moment, potentially? And then you can talk a little bit more, if you can, about your pipeline, some ideas of what else they might, maybe other kind of genres that might that Lore TV might be producing. Yeah, yeah. So so right now we've got uh, some TV shows up there that the that are being chosen between by our current audience so how it works is when you subscribe um you get to help choose what goes on to the streaming platform so you get we've we've built a gamified system and you get uh, a certain amount of internal currency we call it loot to spend on the projects that you want to see go on the platform and when something reaches its funding goal then it begins to stream and everybody can watch it um so right now we've got shows like Barely Biblical, which are, are a it's a children's um, cartoon about stuffed animated teddy bears acting out the most violent stories of the Old Testament. It's really, really good. <laughs> and and um, more than 50 percent of the dialogue in the cartoon is straight scripture being read. Um, and and uh, so it's the kind of show that kids are going to want to watch a bunch of times in a row because it's funny and it's hilarious and it's really really well done. Um, But also they're going to walk away having giant chunks of the book of Samuel (laughs) memorized and the book of judges, you know, so the most violent stories of the old Testament acted out by animated stuffed teddy bears. So uh, we've got that so much better. That's so much better than veggie tales. I just want to point that out. Yeah, it really is. It's fantastic. It's great. (laughs) Uh, uh, We have, uh, a great show. It's uh, comedian Joseph Granda uh, traveling the country, breaking the most ridiculous laws that he can find and turning himself into the cops. It's called mm-hmm. Breaking Laws, and it's a reality show that's highlighting how we've got some really ridiculous laws. And then at the end of each episode, he goes to a pastor in that town and asks if he broke Romans 13. So it's just <laughs> such a funny, funny show. Um, we ha- And then we have uh, a show called The Salter that is experimental short fiction um, based on different psalms. Um, so the filmmaker takes a psalm and he writes a short, a, a short uh, fictional piece uh, highlighting the psalm and you and trying to use the the words of the psalm as the as, as the structure for his storytelling. That that one's really neat. Um, we have a, a couple of really a great documentary called Gothics about a Twitch streamer who, um, a, a black uh, goth Twitch streamer who had a really big following who dared to um, say that it might not be racism that for the reason that somebody opposes the new Little Mermaid casting. <laughs> and she got canceled really hard, uh, All lost all of her sponsors, you know, got kicked out of all sorts of Twitch groups um, and everything. And... A, a Christian filmmaker said, "Hey, can I tell your story?" And in the process, sh- she and her boyfriend end up becoming Christians. In the process of the movie, it's a beautiful, amazing documentary. Wow. Um, it's re- actually it's a really my 
my 18 year old daughter watched it and said, dad, every teenager in the country needs to see this. We need to understand what's really, what cancel what's going on with cancel culture. And it's, you don't, unless somebody tells you, you don't know because it, they keep it pretty invisible. Um, so that's a really amazing one. We've got a really, really interesting docu-series um, called Your American Family about um, the the Tennessee, a family in Tennessee that had a flag store that got, um, that got um, flagged, quote unquote, by, uh, by um, PayPal as a terrorist group. It's a true story. <laughs> wow. And the the what ended up happening um that they they ended up being targeted by google um and and uh in homeland security and the fbi and all these different groups started showing up (laughs) at their doors it's a it's a crazy story about the and and it was all the day after the january 6th when they started saying these people are radicals who need to be um put in put in jail and it was um and it's just about how how big tech has been um weaponized by uh the left and so that's that's an amazing story that um that i couldn't believe it when when i sat down with and with this just he's just a dad who's he and his son make and sell american flags (laughs) and that's what got them uh, to, that's what got them flagged as a terrorist organization. It's so you get it, sitting there, you thinking this can't be true, and then he shows shows you the video of it all happening. It's an amazing story. So um, we've got just really great content, and then in the pipeline, we've got sci-fi. We've got a I, we've got a really great western actually right now called um, Black Rose Ballad. Uh, that's just really fantastic hyper-violent, manly Christian Western. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, so it's we've got, in, in the pipeline, we've got sci-fi, um, we've got fantasy, we've got um, comedy, we've got a lot of a lot of great comedy. But one, of, one of the comedies we've got right now on the front page is called Churchville, and it's uh, it's a, a comedy similar to The Office or Key and Peele, um, about two mega churches across the street from one another in Tennessee, in Nashville, competing for who's going to be the best mega church. <laughs> it's just, it's just so, it's so funny, right? Where you just get a really good laugh at, at ourselves, right? Like the church could be really goofy right now, um, yeah. but it's not. I mean, it's by a man that loves. He loves the church. And he just wants it to be better, and he says, "There's no better way than to laugh at your own, uh, your own." The dumb th- if you if you have a good laugh at the dumb things you do, you're less likely to do them again. Right. So there you go. Well, <laughs> yeah. where can people find out more about you, some of the works that you've written, um, and Lore TV? It's L O O R TV, right? Yeah, L O O R TV is the um that's where you go for to to sign up and um uh, and then uh yeah, you can find my books on Amazon. Um and then I podcast at at Knox Unplugged um weekly uh have a, a podcast on storytelling poetry and the christian life um and uh which is which sometimes it's really long 
but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> That's As great. you can tell by the fact that I'm still talking to you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's been great. It's yeah, been we great. appreciate it. Absolutely. Jason, it's been a sincere pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. It is our duty through our schools to create a new one, a God-centered one. We are told in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death.